We're going to be over in, in Mark's Gospel, as you can see in your outline. And there you can either turn in your Bibles, look on your iPads, look up on the screen, whichever is uh, easier for you. But there was a hospital administrator who was very startled to see fleeing down the hall a patient still in his hospital gown. And he saw him, he was running from the operating room. And so he stopped him and he said, why are you running? Why are you especially running from the operating room? And he said, well, it's because of what the nurse said. He said, well, what did the nurse say? Well, the nurse said, I'm going to make sure I read it right here. It was because of, uh, uh, what did she say? She said, be brave. Be brave. And ap- appendectomy is quite simple. And the hospital administrator said, well, that sounds like very comforting words. Why would you not want to hear that in the operating room? He says, she wasn't talking to me. She was talking to the surgeon. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that's, that'll get you, get, you, get you a little scared. Words can produce faith and words can produce doubt. Words can produce faith and words can produce doubt. We've got to be careful of our words. We've got to see what our words are, are founded on. In this series on submission and authority, last number of weeks we've been looking at authority and trying to, de- to determine the difference between healing that was done by the authority of Jesus Christ and healing that was done by the power of God. And we've seen there is a sharp difference and a, a definite difference in the Word of God when people were healed by the power of God and people were healed by the authority of God. So we've been spending some time looking at the difference, spent some time on this last week especially. We saw in the story with the centurion, as he said, I say to one, go, and he goes. We saw the scope of which authority operates is mostly centered in things that would, would go, things that would come, or to do something. Going, coming, and doing something are, is the scope of authority. If you are going to operate in the area of authority, you need to operate, you need to, uh, in that area of authority, you need to say things that can be done. We used the example last week when we were removing the water heater, and Corey was over there helping me. Water heater was somewhere around 300 pounds because all the water was still in it. I can't just say to Corey, even though I have authority in, in that area, I can't just say to Corey, Corey, lift that up and take it outside. That would be an abuse of authority. In order to operate in the area of authority, you must say things that can be done. Now, they might be things that we look at and say, how can that be done? But it can be done. Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, that's a going, isn't it? Be cast into the sea, the mountain would obey and the mountain will go. So obviously it is possible for mountains to move. God doesn't have to move them. You can say to the mountain, mountain, that's what Jesus taught, right? If you say to this mountain, mountain, be cast into the sea, the mountain would pick up and be cast into the sea. That can be done. It looks pretty hard from our standpoint, but it can be done. There is the ability there. If we say to a disease germ that's in our body, be gone, can that disease germ go? Well, did the disease germ come? (laughs) 
right? It wasn't always there. So obviously it came at some point. So if it came, it can, it can go. So we need to understand that we can, we can do that. If a tornado is coming to your house, was the tornado always there? Did the tornado have the ability to come to your house? Yes. So does the tornado have the ability to go? Yeah, well, you can't speak to tornadoes. Well, Jesus spoke to wind. Jesus spoke to waves. Did they not obey him? Surely they did. We've heard ministers in, in uh, just our modern times. The tornadoes were coming into their cities. Tornadoes were coming into their churches, our houses, and they command them. Be gone. I heard one jumped right over. I don't know if you are aware of this, but um, over in the, the annals that were, were written, the, log, the ship's log, when Columbus came to America, one of the things he faced was a water spout. And he stood on the boat and commanded that water spout to, uh, to, to go. And I, I forget the, the specific. If you want to find this in a book, you'll find this in the book, I believe, The, the Light and the Glory. Uh, Peter Marshall, if you want to, want to see. There's a lot of good things about the founding of the country there. I, I think that one might have jumped over the boat or had gone away, but somehow it, it, it was coming to them, and it did not. It went away. That's Christopher Columbus. Don't let people tell you that if our founding fathers were not born again, spirit-filled, loving God folks, they were. They had a lot of things going on. But if you're going to operate in the area of authority, you need to say to something, go, come, or to do. Authority, we said, deals with what is possible. Power deals with what is impossible. When Jesus came up to the lame man who was laying on his bed and he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Was it possible? No, because he couldn't walk. He does not have the power or the most people should, but he did not have the power or the ability to walk. That's why he was laying on the on the mat. And he said to Jesus said, do you want to be healed? He says, well, I have no one to pick me up and put me in the pool. Therefore, was it possible for him to get up? No, he could not get up. But when Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk, he's not operating under authority. What's he operating under? He's tapping into the power of God and he's giving that person an opportunity to connect to it. Connection to power in the realm of God is not always done by physical contact. You can have a connection outside of a physical contact. There was physical contact. Jesus laid hands on them uh, and, and they were healed. Jesus put his hands on their eyes. Jesus put his hands in their ears. There was contact that was made, but not always. This particular situation, the way the contact was made was by obeying what Jesus said to do. Well, in order to receive in the area of authority, this is the real important lessons Christians need to get hold of. In order to receive in the area of authority, the person doing the receiving of the miracle, of the healing, of whatever it is that's coming, must also receive the authority. If they do not receive the authority, the opportunity is not there to receive the miracle. Now, when we say receive the authority, it doesn't mean that they've been walking a Christian all their life or even a week. All it means is at that moment, they received that authority. This is why Jesus, when he's operating the authority, did some placement questions, did some things to test them to see, will you receive the authority that I'm under? 
And if they would receive the authority that Jesus was under, they could receive the miracle that Jesus had. How many miracles did the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes receive? None. Why? They didn't receive his authority. If you don't receive the authority, you won't receive the power. So you've got to be careful when you, when you step out and you want to operate in that area of authority and you uh, interact with someone who does not receive the authority of Jesus Christ. If you do not say something or do something to get them to be, to be put into a position to receive from that authority, whatever you say won't work. You have to put them in a place. It doesn't matter if they got born again. It doesn't matter if, if, uh, if their life has changed, if they give up sin or anything like that. What matters is at that moment, will you receive the authority of Jesus Christ? And you can do some questions. We're going to spend some more time on this as we go along. But you look at Jesus. Jesus did a lot of placement questions. In the area of authority, he does a lot of placement questions or things that he asked them to do that when they do them would place them. And they would either place them under that authority or as a rejection of that authority. But you've got to recognize that authority to receive. We have to learn to yield to go, come, and do. Remember what the centurion said? I, too, am a man under authority. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And this one, come, and he comes. And this one, do, and he does it. Well, in order to be in a place of authority, and we just use the example of a military place, in order to be in that spot, as a military person, you need to be able to receive orders, obey orders, in order for you to have authority to give orders. And if we don't learn how to yield to God saying, go, come, and do, how are we going to operate in it? So when God says, go and do this, we need to go and do it. When God says, do this, we need to do it. That's us getting ourselves in a position to be able to operate in greater authority. So we went through the, the rankings. You know, we had the private, we had the corporals, we had the sergeants, we had the captains, we have the all the way on up. Different people, different ranks, and different ones have different authority. The higher you go in rank, the more people that are under you. We need to learn how to yield so that we can speak and have faith, just not knowledge. Well, we're going to look at a story here of the healing of blind Bartimaeus. This story is given in three different Gospels. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, in two different stories, Matthew chapter 20 is also, I believe, Matthew chapter 9. He talks about the healing of two blind people, but both are just a little bit different. We're looking at the one in Matthew chapter 20 to be similar with the other. We're going to mostly focus in Mark chapter 10, but Luke chapter 18 also covers this. I don't know if I put all those references in your outline. If you want them to go back and take a look at the other places where it's described, you can do that. In Matthew chapter 20, it begins at verse 29, goes to 34. We see that they are departing from Jericho, so they're on the road from Jericho. And Matthew talks about two blind men. Two blind men. Many times, actually three different times, Matthew speaks of a miracle that involved two people receiving when the other authors talked about one. Three different times that happens. Matthew talks about two when the other Gospels only refer to one. That's not inconsistency in the gospel. That's a different focus. In Mark's gospel, we have them departing from Jericho, only one blind man, 
and a name is given to that man. In Luke's gospel, we're on the way into, into Jericho and only one blind man. So there's some similar, some, some uh, things that are, are, are different from that. But if in Mark's gospel, he talks about one. If you have two people and you are interacting with Jesus, are both people speaking? No, if you have two people speaking to one person, what can you understand? Think of it this way. Have you ever seen those news shows? They give a little commercial on TV. Surely none of you watch them. <laughs> but you see that or you hear people on the radio sometimes in a, in a talk radio type of a situation where uh, you've got more than two people on there and you have three people talking at once. You know, there's that uh, one show where all the ladies are sitting around the table. I don't watch the show. I forget what it's called. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed you folks know what it is. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> just having some fun with you. But I, I've seen some of the commercials for that. And how anyone gets anything out of that show, I don't know. Because they sit there and they're talking around. There's two or three of them talking at one time. Why do you want to do that? How, I can't understand. But see, they're so moved with the passion of their particular thing. And their point is so important. They just need to do that. So we say all that to say this. If there was two people there, one person was the dominant one doing talking. Now, you've seen this. You go, you go out some places with friends. And have you, do you have some friends that when you're with them, they do most of the talking? <laughs> and other friends, you're trying to drag it out of them? Yeah. And so you, you get two people together. Generally, one person is more the talker and one person is not. Some people are very comfortable with silence. Some people are not comfortable with silence at all. And we have to fill that, that whole thing up. So when, when Mark talks about one person, he's not contradicting Matthew's story. There were more than likely two people there. But Bartimaeus was the dominant one, and he was the one talking and interacting with Jesus. So that's why it was going that way. But we're looking at Mark's gospel because of the details we get with that more so than the other. But anyway, if you go through there, I actually have a list here. I'm not going to go through the whole thing of the similarities and differences between all of them. But let's get on into the story. Well, we'll get there in just a minute. I wanted to, I wanted to actually give you a review on some things that we had done a long time ago. As we're looking at this, we're, we're looking at this, this story of authority and power. And most of our focus has been on the differences between authority healings and power healings or power miracles. I don't want you to get the idea, though, that you must know whether your situation calls for authority or whether your situation calls for power in order for you to receive. I don't want you to get that way. We're, we're, we're going to get to a spot. We're just not there yet. I want you to see some more of these stories. What I want you to get to, it's not important how the miracle comes. What is important is how you access it. So when we get all these things going, we're going to bring this, bring this around and we're going to show you. I even know what story we're going to use when we get into this. We're going to show you how you access what you need, even if you don't know whether it's power or authority. But just understand, every miracle is done in either power or authority. It's one or the other. It's not always important that you know. Sometimes it will help you to know, but it's not always important. 
So you don't have to sit there and say, God, give me wisdom. Do I need authority? Do I need power? And you waste all your time on that. All you need to know is how to access it. So you hang on on this because we're going to show you some things from the Word of God, how you access it. Once you see this, but you need to get a little bit more of a foundation on seeing all these stories that Jesus did so that you can, you can walk in this. And then once the light's going to turn on, you're going to see this. But there are three reasons we gave you some time ago, a couple of years ago. Three reasons why people do not receive healing. You might remember this. We gave you the acronym DUI. That might uh, ring a bell with you. First one was disobedience. Disobedience is one reason that people do not receive healing. If the man who has said, go dip in the pool, doesn't dip in the pool. He doesn't get healed because he didn't obey. You need, to, you need to obey. That's one reason why people don't receive healing. Unbelief is another reason that people do not receive healing. And here's the third. Ignorance. People just don't know. They don't know about the healing power of God. They don't know that it's still active today. They don't know that Jesus wants to heal. So three reasons. Disobedience, unbelief, and ignorance. Now, I want to refresh you a little bit on on the uh, unbelief part. Because we think some things about unbelief that are not true. And some people believe that they are in unbelief when they are not. And the, this area of ignorance, the devil can lead people along and say, well, it's because of unbelief. That's why you didn't receive. And people will buy into this. Remember, authority needs confidence. Faith. Authority needs confidence. If you don't have that confidence, you won't walk in the authority. And if the devil can get you, the enemy can get you to think, I'm in unbelief. I've got to take care of that unbelief. I can't get anything until I get rid of this unbelief. In John chapter 20, verse 24, everybody knows Thomas. Now, Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, eight days, he hadn't changed. His disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look in my hands, and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have Believed. So unbelief, would you not say that Thomas is the poster child for unbelief? Usually when you think about unbelief, don't you think about... In fact, we even nickname him that. What do we nickname him? Doubting Thomas. He probably did a whole lot of other stuff that was real good, but what do we remember him for? We remember him because he doubted. Jesus had this guy hang around, picked him out of to be one of the twelve out of all the others. But what do we remember? He doubted. After this, he went on, gave his life for the gospel. What do we remember? He doubted. (laughs) Doubting Thomas. So he is definitely the poster child. You think of the NBA. I think the poster child for the NBA is none other than Michael Jordan. Whenever I think NBA, he's the first one who comes to mind. Whenever we think doubt and unbelief, who do we think? 
it's Thomas. So here's the thing. Here's what we learn from Thomas and others in the Word of God. Unbelief is the rejection of truth. That is huge. You've got to understand this. It is the rejection of truth. If you are going to be in unbelief, you have heard the truth and rejected it. Isn't that what Thomas did? Thomas heard from the other disciples, Hey, we saw him. And what's he say? <laughs> unless I see. <laughs> unless I put. Unless I do these things, I'm not going to believe. He heard the truth and rejected it. You are not capable of unbelief until you have heard the truth. Once you have heard the truth, you only walk in unbelief if you reject it. I didn't say you had to understand it. Just said if you reject it. Thomas rejected it. Jesus calls him unbelieving or faithless. Put this in your outline for you. It is not possible to be in unbelief about something in which you have never heard. It is not that Thomas had not heard. He does hear and rejects what he heard as truth. He sees it as untruth. So again, unbelief is the rejection of truth. That's what unbelief is. So if I'm going to be in unbelief, I have had to say I heard that truth and I reject it from being truth. Or I heard that statement, I heard that thing. So don't let the devil pull you into something that's unbelief if you just don't understand something. That's not unbelief. Oh God, I can't quite figure this out. That's not unbelief. Nor is nor is ignorance. You may be ignorant of some topics, but that can be cured. Stupidity, on the other hand. <laughs> There's not too much you can do with that. All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. One of the accounts has it that he heard this crowd coming down and there was a lot of noise. And he said, what's going on? And they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. So when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more. Son of David. Have mercy on me. Now, you have probably seen this the last time you were in Walmart. Right? You've been in Walmart, and you see the, the mom or the dad pushing the cart with the little kid in there who is throwing a fit because he wants a toy, a prize, candy, or something. And they are trying to encourage this child to be quiet. What does the child do? Gets louder. And you watch this battle that goes on between this parent and this child. And the child's not listening. That's kind of what's going on here. They're trying to get this guy to be quiet. He's not having any of it. Mm -mm. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is quite a statement. Because he is saying, Jesus, I believe that you are a descendant of David and in line for the throne. How does he know that? 
I bet you there's a whole lot of people walking around. Don't, son of David. Is he in line? Is he one of the descendants that they may not even know? But he knows this. So he's making a point to say, Son of David, have mercy on me. I know who you are. I have heard about you. And I have accepted the fact that you are the Messiah. And that you have the ability to to change my life. Son of David, have mercy on me. So when he heard about Jesus. Now, there's a lot of people out there today. They hear about Jesus and they don't care. They heard about Jesus. Oh, I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about that church stuff. But that's not, that's not him. Bartimaeus, he heard about Jesus. He got excited. Have you ever tried to share your excitement of church with other people? Oh, I'm going to church tomorrow. Oh, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to go. Really? You want to go? Or when we have special meetings. You're going to church all week? You were in church till how late? <laughs> and you're going back tonight? <laughs> right? Have you heard that from people? They don't understand why are you getting all excited? Why is this such a big deal? See, some people, when they hear about Jesus, when they hear about miracles, when they hear about being set, they're not excited. But then there's other people, when they hear, oh, they get excited. They, they, they get excited. They're ready to go. So he must have heard about the works of Jesus, things Jesus was doing. And he's thinking in his mind, you know what? One of these days, Jesus is going to pass by where I am. Because he's blind. How's he going to go find him? One of these days, Jesus is going to come by where I am at. What am I going to do on that day when Jesus comes by where I'm at? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make some noise. He's thinking about this the whole time, right? Because you're sitting there, you're begging alms. You're a blind person. What do you do? You sit by the road and you beg alms. So while he's begging alms, he's thinking, what am I going to do on that day when Jesus walks by? Yeah, I can see it now. I'm going to get up and I'm going to holler. And this is what I'm going to say. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He kept saying the same thing. Why? Because this has been rehearsed. He has thought about what is it that I'm going to say that's going to get Jesus' attention. I'm going to let him know, I know who you are. <laughs> I know what you can do. And I want your attention. So many warned him. Don't do it. The, the Greek word there means to rebuke, censure, warn, or admonish. They rebuked him. I heard something... Um, I think it's, it's called Harrison's Postulate. It states this. For every action, there is an equal and opposite criticism. <laughs> for every action, there is an equal and opposite criticism. Now, how many of you are planning on watching the Super Bowl today? Every action you watch in the, in the game. Every action that happens, there will be an equal and opposite criticism. Who's calling the game, by the way? Anybody know? It's on CBS. I don't know who calls on CBS. I try and ignore announcers because Phil Sims. It could be worse. 
It could be worse. All right. Well, we'll see how that goes. But you know, they, they, they sit in the booth and like to criticize. Every time that uh, they do something down there in the field, they're telling you why it was wrong. Uh-huh. If they can't find anything wrong with the offense, then they'll find out what was wrong with the defense. And they'll tell you about those kind of things. And Yeah, well, let's go on. So many warned him, but he cried out all the more. Well, let's go back, go back one more verse. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. They bring that, bring that young man out here. Bring him on over here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer. <laughs> yeah, they turn on you real fast, don't they? First, hush, be quiet. Oh, he's calling for you. Let me take him, take you to him. Right? They're all your friend now. <laughs> Be of good cheer. Rise. He is calling you. So now you should be glad. He was glad when he heard Jesus was in the area. Some people are only glad when they hear Jesus calling their name. Some people get glad when Jesus comes by. <laughs> he was one who got glad because Jesus came by. But notice that the ones who are excited when Jesus calls their name have been around Jesus all this time. What has happened to them? Nothing. But the one who is excited that Jesus came by, he's about ready to get healed. Verse 50. And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. Now we've talked about this before, but just to let anyone know it wasn't here. It has been a couple of, time, a couple of years since we, we were on this, uh, this area of Scripture. But the garment that he threw aside was a blind man's garment. This is basically... If you want to put it in modern day vernacular, this is your card carrying begging permission. This is your permit to beg. You've got a blind person's garment. As long as you have that blind person's garment, then you can sit at the side of the road and beg alms by the city where the crowds are. You don't need one if you're going to go out where in the deserted places. But you don't want to be at the deserted places. You want to be over by the gates. So they give out these these garments, and they say, you are an official blind person. We recognize you as a blind person. So when people came on by and they saw the garment, they would say, this is truly a blind person. And they would give them alms and, and so forth because they, were, they had the permit with the garment. So when it says he threw aside his garment, he's throwing aside his livelihood. This is what gives him permission to beg. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Well, the word there for throw aside, this is only used two times in the New Testament. Two times. Here's the first one that we see, and it's apabalo. To throw off, loose, throw away. Hebrews 10.35 is the only other verse where this word is used. And it's, it's this way. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. But he cast away threw away his permission to beg. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, here's what's another significant thing about this. If you are blind, how are you going to get it again? How are you going to go back and find the garment? If you're blind, you're not going to be able to go back and find it. Somebody could give you another garment 
Here, have this one. And they're going to keep your, your blind begging garment and give you that one. And you don't know that it's any different. But he's, he throws it away. Why? Because he's been thinking about this. He's like the woman with the issue of blood. I know if I get Jesus' attention, I know I'll be healed. He's talking to himself about this. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Now, it might be that he doesn't have his blind garment on anymore, so we don't know that he's blind. (laughs) But Jesus always says this to people. What do you want me to do for you? If you are lame and you are laid in front of Jesus, he would say, What do you want me to do for you? If you can't hear, he would say, What do you want me to do for you? I don't know how you're supposed to hear that, but... He wants you to say what you want. In Jesus' teaching, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will come to pass, he shall have whatever he says. And when you stand praying, believe that you receive. So both situations, he's talking about, you've got to speak it out of your mouth. You've got to say something out of your mouth. Stop thinking what you want. Stop saying, well, God knows what I need. Yes, He does. He still says, ask. Say. Speak it out. So He says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Now, this is a great statement right here. That I may receive my sight. He does not say that you would heal me. He says that I would receive my sight. This is a problem even today. And I hear it out of most Christians' mouth. That most Christians will say, Well, I hope God will do this for me. Well, I'm waiting for God to do this for me. Well, I'm believing for God to do this for me. What does blind Bartimaeus say? that I may receive my sight. Miracles have more to do with our receiving than His giving. You've got to be ready to receive. The problem is generally on the receiving end. It's just like if you were to go on home, it's nighttime, and you go to turn the light on in the room, and it doesn't come on. Is your first thing to call the power company? Hey, what's up? What's your first thing you do? Is it plugged in? Maybe it got unplugged. Maybe it got a little bit loose. Is it plugged in? So you go and you check that out. If it's on a power strip, well, is that power strip on? If that all checks out, is the light bulb any good? We check all the, we check the receiving end constantly in our home, but when we don't get something from God, we check the giving end. We check the sender. Well, uh, God just hasn't sent that to me yet. I'm still waiting. Just not here yet. Now, this is in your outline here for you if you want to fill this in. Faith, hope, and expectation carry me into action. Faith, hope, and expectation carry you into action. People who are in faith, people who are in hope, people who are in expectation are focused on what they are doing. 
Doubt and unbelief have me to a place of waiting for the action to happen. You want to find out if you're in doubt and unbelief or if you are in faith? Listen to your prayer. Oh God, you know, I'm ready to be healed whenever you're ready. I'm ready to receive my miracle whenever you want to send it. Now, I just want to remind you, I'm here. It's been a while, but I am ready. As soon as you want to send it, I am ready. See, that's that unbelief that got you in that place to think that it's no longer on your hands. Doubt and unbelief have me to a place of waiting for action, waiting for the action to happen. But faith, hope, and expectation carry me into action. The woman with the issue of blood, what did she do? She's in action. Jarius, he came to get Jesus. The centurion, he sent for Jesus. People in faith are people of action. People of doubt and unbelief are people who are waiting. Now, let me ask you this part. When did God become willing for blind Bartimaeus to be healed? Did God become willing for blind Bartimaeus to be healed when he was healed? Now, see, that'll change your prayers. There's a whole lot of people who will look at this story and say, well, God now was willing for him to be healed, and so he was healed. If that is the case, what changed? What changed to make God willing now to heal blind Bartimaeus? Was God willing to heal the man at the pool of Siloam? Or the the pool of Bethsaida? Or the man that he sent to the pool of Siloam? Or the deaf man? Or the other blind people? Did he suddenly become willing? If so, what did they do that brought him to a place to become willing? Or was he always willing... But they were not in a position to receive. The man who came to Jesus and said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said what? Let me think about it. Uh, I'm in a good mood today. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to become willing right now. And I'm going to... No, that's not what happened, is it? That's not what happened. It is not a matter of God becoming willing. It's a matter of me putting myself in a place to receive. The woman with the issue of blood. Why didn't she, why didn't she get healed at home? Didn't Jesus say, great is your faith? You're healed because of your faith? It's faith that brought him to that point. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now what made him well? His faith. How does faith come? By hearing. Hearing by the word of God. When did Bartimaeus hear about Jesus? It wasn't today. He heard about it before. He began to think about this. What am I going to do when Jesus comes by? And he contemplated an action that he would take when Jesus came by. And when Jesus came by and he heard Jesus is here, he engaged that action. Ha! We're ready. 
Jesus is here and I'm ready to receive. Now, I just need to go put myself in a position because if he had stayed on the side of the road and stayed quiet, what would have happened? Nothing would have happened. But Jesus apparently was willing for something to happen. But nothing would have happened. He put himself in a position. Now, we saw with the the man at the pool, Jesus came upon him and spoke to him. But this one, he called out for it. Jesus wasn't coming over to him. Jesus wasn't finding him. Jesus was going along the road. People all around him. He heard that Jesus was there. He made a noise. He kept saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Which would mean the first time he said it, Jesus didn't hear him. Probably the second and third time he said it, Jesus didn't hear him. He kept saying louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Finally, he got over the the noise of the crowd and it got to where Jesus was and Jesus heard it. And what's Jesus say? Bring bring that one over here. What's going on? Bring that one over over here. And he brought him on over. What do you want me to do? I want to receive my sight. I just love his statement. Because most Christians are in a place where they want God to move. They want God to do something. And he's saying, I'm ready. I want to receive my sight. Now, you're gonna, some of you are going to be watching football today. I haven't decided if I'm going to watch the whole game, part of the game, what I'm going to do. But probably eventually end up watching some of it. Somewhere along the course of today, it might happen. You know what's happened before. Quarterback drops back. Let's just imagine Peyton Manning, Cam Newton, dropping back to pass. And you know football's all choreographed. The play is you're supposed to go here and here, and you're supposed to do this and this. And it's not so simple that you go out five yards and you cut up this way. That receiver, for a lot of the routes, reads the defense in his route is predicated on what the defense does. It's not scripted to the point that out five yards, when we play backyard football, go out five yards and slant up this way. Right? We don't care what the defense is doing. But that's not how they play the game now. Now you read where the defenders are and your the goal is to go in between the defenders or past the defenders. And so this person is reading the defense to develop the route you ever heard people say that they're good route runners? This is what a good route runner is. It's not a person who can go up five yards and cut. That's, that's simple. Anybody could do that. A good route runner is able to read like he's supposed to read the defense. And he makes that, that move. And so then the quarterback is reading the same defense. And knowing the quarterback has to know what that receiver, this receiver, this tight end, this, re- this receiver, and this running back is all going to do. According to the defense. That's a lot to know. And so when they throw the ball, have you ever seen a quarterback throw the ball to empty space? And be mad? Because the space wasn't supposed to be empty. There was a person who was supposed to be in that space. But they weren't there. So the ball was there. The receiver was not. The ball did not get received. The ball was thrown. The ball was not received. Or have you seen this happen? where the receiver is running and the quarterback throws and it hits the receiver in the shoulder, in the back, (laughs) bounces off, and the guy looks around, what? (laughs) 
and the quarterback's upset because he didn't turn around. He wasn't ready. The route wasn't read right. Somebody made a mistake on the thing. And most of the time, the problem is on the receiving end of things. It wasn't receiving. You weren't in the right place. You weren't in the right position. That's what we need. To, we need to get ourselves in the right position to receive from God. Because God is always willing to throw the ball. Always willing to throw the ball. Are we ready to receive it? We've got to work on our receiving part. Not on getting God to throw. Now I put this in your outline for you. Wish and hope waits for something to happen. A lot of, a lot of Christians have substituted faith and hope for wishing. You'll hear them say this. How you doing? Well, believe in God. I hope I'll be healed. That's not knowing. Faith is a knowing. But wish and hope waits for something to happen. Word hope acts on faith to make something happen. Word hope says, here's what the word of God said I need to do. If I do this, God will do this. The woman with the issue of blood said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. Blind Bartimaeus, I know if Jesus walks by and I can get his attention, I know I'll receive my sight. How do we know he was saying all that? Because look at what happened. He throws away his blind garment. He makes all that noise despite all the people saying this stuff to him. These are people that he doesn't want to get on their bad side because these are people who put it into his cup. People walk by, you're that guy who made all that noise before. I didn't like that. I'm not giving you nothing. Word hope acts on faith to make something happen. Hope and faith will produce a plan and action. Hope and faith will produce a plan and an action. What is the plan? What is the action? I must have a plan based on faith in God. If you're going to have a plan, it's got to be a plan that's based on faith in God. How do you get faith in God? Hearing of the Word. You've got to hear what the Word says. I cannot let it be affected by the people or circumstances of this world. You might have a whole lot of people shouting at you. But don't let that affect you. What is your plan? What is your action that came from faith in the Word of God? Stay with that. This is what blind Bartimaeus does. He has a plan and he has an action. My plan is that one day Jesus is going to come down this road. My action is I am going to get out there and make all kinds of noise and get his attention. But the noise that I will make will be this. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because he kept saying that over and over. That's his plan. That's his action. Don't make the plan based on doubt. And since you don't make plans based on doubt, don't let doubt in later on. If you've got a plan and an action, you will know. Just just know this. The enemy will whisper doubt into your ear. If you don't hear that, he will send messengers your way. And they will tell you, you can't believe for that. You will have people that don't believe in God that will come to you and speak doubt into your life. If that doesn't work, He's going to get people who do believe in God to come to you and speak doubt in your life. How many times do we see in the Gospels that Jesus, Jesus is going back with Jairus and other Jewish believers are telling him, don't trouble the teacher anymore. 
Daughter's dead. Other Jewish believers are back in the house and they say, no, she's going to live. And they laugh. Going to send people from the world? It's going to send people that are believers like you? And he's going to send relatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because relatives are more free to speak to you than non-relatives are. And they just feel a little more convinced that they need to get you in line. But don't let it be affected by the people or circumstances of this world. Get your plan. Get your action. What is it that I can have faith for to see this thing go? Don't believe what someone else said. Don't believe how it worked for someone else. Believe how it worked for you. What is, what is going on with that thing? Now, doesn't it mean that you just have to, you know, get into the right meeting, get hands laid on you, and get, get saved? We've heard many people give testimony about doctors and why are doctors there. Thank God I've heard one person put it this way. Doctors are there to get you through while your faith is still growing. Nothing wrong with that. There's, a, there's some situations on, on those things. I've told you some of my experiences with doctors. I've told you some other people's experiences that we, that we had. But just listen to your spirit on the, on the whole thing. Some years ago, I told you the experience I had. In the, it was right, right around the 4th of July. I know that because it was on a holiday. I was in the hospital. And I just got finished delivering a bunk bed that morning and came on back. And I had a second one to do. I think it was a Friday. And as I came on back, I was feeling fine all day. No problem. Got on there and unloaded the bunk bed, carried it upstairs, put it all together. Get on down, head on over for the, to the house, get the second bunk bed ready. Let's get it on out there too. And I, I had a pain. Couldn't quite shake it. So I said, well, I'll just sit on down here for a little bit and it'll go away. I sat on down there for a little bit. It didn't go away. So I, I, was, I was contemplating on it and up in my spirit, it came this. It's your appendix. Go down to the hospital and get it taken out. So I called my wife. My wife is out in the garden. She left me alone for a while. I, was, I just need to sit. I'd, I had to call the other people. I'm not going to make it on out there. Don't have time. So um, I called her on in the house. I said, it's my appendix. I have to go down to the hospital. So I get on down to the hospital. And uh, I'm walking in. You know, it's, it was sore. And I sat on down and I said, uh, I said, why are you here? I said, my appendix is having a problem. I think it needs to come out. He says, why do you think it's your appendix? Now, this part doesn't go over real well. Because, <laughs> you know, that's not necessarily official doctor talk. But I told them, and uh, they kind of laughed at that. And they, so they went down their checklist, and they said, well, do, are you running a fever? I says, no. Do you have any nausea? I said, no. And I, I don't know, whatever, the, whatever else they said. They went down their list, and I didn't have anything else. All you have is the pain in your side. Yes. And you're sure it's your appendix? I said, yes. So they took me on back and they said, all right. He says, well, I know you're sure it's your appendix, but we have to, you know, do our thing and check out. All. So we're going to do this test. And if this test comes back, we'll know it's your appendix. And so they did the test. came on back. They said, it's your appendix. I said, I told you that. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to call somebody in and he was a, he was a good natured guy. And they, they took it out and I was fine. And went on by. My uh, a pastor I, I sat under for a while. He had a, um, a tumor. I, uh, he didn't know he had a tumor, but uh, 
something came up and he, he knew there was something wrong with his body and it came up in his spirit. You have a tumor. Go to the, go to the doctor. Have them operate. When they operate, they're going to find out that it's uh, capsulated or whatever it is. It's all one and they'll be able to remove it easily. And so he went into the doctor's office and he says, I have a tumor. He says, but when you operate, you'll find out that it's all capsulized or whatever term that they use, and you'll be able to take it out just fine. They just looked at him like, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> You're telling us our job. And so sure enough, they opened him up, found out it was exactly the way that he said, took it out, closed him up, and said, you know what? It was exactly the way you said. We operated. We took it out. You'll have no trouble with it. Well, that's all right. You don't. God can work that way too. I mean, if my faith was to the point that I could say, I believe God that right now my appendix is gone. <laughs> Go! <laughs> but that's not what we did. And we're back up and, and going in a, in a, in a little uh, a short bit of time. I, was, I think in a day or two, I was already doing stuff. My family was yelling at me for Don't do that. But they kind of know not to yell at me. At least not in front of me. It's not going to do any good. <laughs> but anyway, the, you get those things in your God will speak to your spirit and tell you some of these things. It doesn't always mean you have to go to the doctor or get something done. But if it comes up in your spirit, he generally, every time that it's happened to me, he's told me what it was. This is what it is. There was another time I walked into the doctor's office. I told him what was wrong with me. And he said, how do you know that? Now, he didn't like my answer. But he went through the test and he says, no, I think you're right. And so he sent me over to the particular doctor that would do this. And he said, yeah, that's what you got. It'll come up in your spirit. You can find out about these things. God will tell you. And he'll tell you how to get out of it too. But then once that happens, then you just stand in faith. You see, here's the problem that the devil will try and get you into. Is that once you have it from God, this is what the problem is. Now, all right, well, we can't have him have this. We've got to put some fear in there. And so he comes along and he whispers some things to get you to think about fear. Don't, don't, take that. don't take the fear. You don't need to. Your God cares about you. Get rid of the fear. If I would have let, I didn't. I was not afraid about the, the, any of the surgery. And there's no real reason to be. I'm not saying that there were real complicated surgeries. Other people have had much more complicated and much bigger surgeries and, and so forth. But now just let's go. Let's get it done. Get it over with. I need to get out. <laughs> And they did. They took care of it, and and um, and we were gone. Just listen to the to your spirit. What God telling you to do? God will give you the course of action. And He'll give it to you from the Word of God too. He'll say, "Remember so and so how they believed. Remember what they said. Remember what they did. Yeah, I remember that." And you can you'll grab hold of that. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. Don't just shoot for things. Don't just, well, I'll just give this a shot. Let's just see if this works. I mean, Peter caught a fish and got money in it. Maybe it'll work for me. That's not how you do things. You listen to God. Just listen to God. Be directed, not misled. Be directed, not misled. God will direct you. He will direct your steps. You'll have a direct plan. Don't be misled out of it. Now, here's the thing. After a miracle occurs in your life, a change will be made. Blind Bartimaeus was healed. Did his life change? 
Yeah, but he can't keep going around acting like a blind person. He's healed. The man who was at the pool and was lame when he was raised up, his life had to change. He's no longer a lame person. Here's the problem that, that a lot of folks get into in this area. When the miracle comes, our thinking is still the same as it was before. And if we don't get rid of that thinking, pretty soon we are still operating the same way we were before. There's been no change. When a miracle comes in your life, folks, your life should change. Blind people see. Deaf people hear. Dumb people talk. Lame people walk. Life changes. If you received a miracle and nothing changed in your life, a lot of times when you see that with people, they go back to the way that they were. Have you ever seen people who got healed of something miraculously, but then they go back? They have it again. Why? Because their life did not change. If blind Bartimaeus kept hanging out there with his blind garment, sitting by the side of the road, because that's all I know how to do is the, is the beg. I thought you got healed. Don't live under that. Don't live under that. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Today is Communion Sunday. Our ushers are coming to pass out the elements to you. And as Jesus took his disciples into the upper room to instruct them, to be with them one last time, to teach them about some of these things, he did this in two parts. And you say, Pastor, you always talk about that. Yeah, because this is why we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to be reminded of this every time that we do it. So every time we do this, I'm going to remind you of the same thing. Because we can forget. We can forget what happened. But before supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That was before the supper. After the supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. They are two separate things. They are separated by an entire meal. They are not redundant. The body represents that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could be healed. The blood represents that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could be forgiven. They're two different things. Do not confuse forgiveness with healing. His body was beaten, bruised, broken, for us, not his bones. His bones were not broken. But his body, his flesh, was beaten. That was for your sickness and disease. His blood was shed for your sins. That the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, covers our sin, wipes it out. Glory to God. Did we get everybody served over here? It looks like we're looking at one person over here. Didn't get, there we go. Great. We want everybody to, to receive this. So when we eat together, the Lord's Supper, don't ever forget that just as important as the forgiveness of your sins was to Jesus, so too was the healing of your body. That you do not do God any favors by bearing in your body sickness and disease. 
any more than you do him a favor by hanging on to sin. Everybody served? As we said, before supper, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together and remember. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents my blood. The blood of the new covenant. The old covenant. Bulls, goats, doves. But that blood could only cover up sin. Jesus' blood washed it away. He paid the price and bought us back. We meant that much to him that he bought us back. Don't let the enemy ever tell you you are not worth anything. You are worth so much to God that he sent his only son to die on a cross for your sins and for your body to be healed. Let's drink together. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the incredible work you did through the ministry of Jesus. That in our bodies we are healed. In our bodies we are set free from sin. And our future is bright. We know where we're going. And we know what Jesus has done. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before we get ready to set up for our meal here together, I see one praise report. Are there, are there some other folks that have some, some praise reports? Uh, there we go. All right. Who's reading these? We're going to get Alyssa. We're going to get Phyllis. I need them too. <laughs> you folks are writing cursive. I don't read that anymore. Yeah, they're going to use this one. Otherwise, they won't. Okay. Won't hear it on the. This on the is table. from Miss Ethel. One week before I uh, last, I woke up with a stiff neck. Stiff neck. I did some stretching exercises and used a neck massager, and it loosed a little. On Sunday, when Naz asked people to come up to the front so God could deal with pain, I went up. <clears throat> As I stood there, the pain left, and I could move my head to the right quickly. It tried to return on Monday and Tuesday, but I reminded my neck that I was healed and under the authority that was given to me by Jesus Christ. Amen. This praise report is for Nick. This week, praise report, this week I was able to see my prayers for someone manifest. I am so thankful that our God is a working God, that he is able, willing, and he does. Amen. This one's from Jolly. It's final now. Got my credentials from Liberty University in MA, the MA Worship Studies with Church Planting Specialization. Thanks to God, my family and wife and church for the support. Amen. This is a praise report from Sharon. I thank God that there's people at our church that I can talk to for advice and prayers when I'm going through stuff. Shout out to Miss Gladys and Miss Connie. Also had a rough afternoon, but after worship this morning, I feel strength has been renewed in me. I am able, not disabled. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And then Ms. Sharon has a prayer request for her knee surgery this Friday. All right. There we go. We can pray with that. I think we had a couple other prayer requests, too. Where did they go? Might have to do these in different colors. <laughs> yeah.
Lothar. Okay, you're right in cursive too. <laughs> oh, excellent. What's prayer for Marilyn? As you all know, she's in the hospital in Philadelphia, and she is, uh, I think that's delirious? Delusional. Okay. And needs, needs healing of her mind and body. We're praying for, for the power of God to work there. And Candy, for prayer for my cousin. Um, Gloria. <laughs> Who is a minister. She has uh, liver cancer and she believes in divine healing. All right. Let's stand up one more time. Miss Sharon, come on up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just agree together. Good surgery. That whatever the doctors are going to do, it is just smooth. Healing process. That God has made our body to heal itself. But we can pray for God to step in and make that even faster. Amen. Father God, we just thank you right now that you are giving the doctors wisdom. You are giving them guidance. And I thank you, Father, that this problem will be taken care of. It will be no more complicated than what they feel that it is already. And that this surgery will go smoothly. We thank you, Father, right now for a sped up healing process. Body, you will heal fast and correctly. We thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're at peace about this already, right? Yeah. All right. Praise God. Father, we also pray for Gloria. Thank you, Father, for the word of God that's in her. It will rise up. And as she believes, so it can be done for her. No matter what it is that she, she faces. We pray for Marilyn, too, Father, for the word of God to be able to come into her. And to, for her to accept what God says about her. That the healing power of God will be able to come in and touch her. And straighten out all those problems she has with her mind. And Father, that can be done. I thank you, Father, for the people that are around her. To minister to her and to speak to her about the love and the healing power of God. That she would receive that for herself. In Jesus' name. Amen.